You are listening to the Conversations for Change podcast with Dolphin Casper. So uh, I'm excited to welcome Barbara Phillips to the Conversations for Change podcast. Uh, we've known each other for several years now, um, but we haven't really been involved in terms of our professional work. And just in the last little while, we've been talking about it and uh, just noticing this, the parallel, the synergy, the overlap of the work we do. So I'm really excited to sit down and uh, hear from you about your years of experience in particular and kind of the realms of mediation and how do we, how do we develop these communication capacities in everyone. And uh, yeah, so I'm excited to jump in and just invite you to introduce yourself and whatever you want to say about yourself and your work, and then we'll be off to the races. Okay. Welcome. This is so much fun. I'm really just so excited to connect with you uh, around this work. I know that what you do has so much integrity and so much clarity and care that you bring to it. And uh, I'm excited that you, that you like what I'm doing too, and uh, we, can, we can share it. So uh, maybe tell me a little bit about what, I know you were a, a practicing lawyer for many years. Yes. And then when you moved out, like, were you doing mediation-oriented work as a lawyer? Or once you finished your law practice, um, was that when you moved into this whole realm of mediation and communication? When I became a mediator, um, I had been practicing law, but there were no there was no practice of mediation except in community mediation services at the time. And this was in the U.S. Um, <clears throat> the um, yeah, the the field was just beginning to open up, and um, I took the training, uh, and and it was like, oh my gosh, this is so much more fun than practicing law, and I kind of felt like I'd done the practicing of law. That was a done deal. I'd finished it. Um, so I was ready to move on to something else. So I became, um, first off, a trainer. I worked with my trainer. I rewrote all his materials. <laughs> and, uh, and then we taught together for six years. And in the course of that, I also began doing mediations. Most of them were uh, matters already in litigation, already in the courts. So uh, parties and their lawyers were usually present. So I did that for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, what did you notice? I, I hear you just as you started to do the training of mediation, something came alive in you, this recognition of, of what's possible, maybe. Exactly. When, when mediation exactly. is done right, when it's done well. Um, so as you moved out of the training into the real world, um, what did you notice about mediation? Like what worked, what didn't, where did people get stuck? I was using a caucusing model of mediation. So that means that I was meeting with each side separately. And eventually, <clears throat> um, that got tiresome. But at the but at the beginning, it really it really worked well, and people could be much more forthcoming. And in these, it's like when you start a mediation, everybody says what it's about, and it's like they're all talking about a different thing. It's like there's no relationship between what one says and the other says. It's a little bit like that, that uh, image meme where one person is on one side and the other person is on the other side and there's a six yes. or a nine and <laughs> yeah, they're both right. pointing sure exactly. that they're right. Exactly, exactly, yeah. 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 And, and even more than that, it's like um, 
there's, um, it doesn't really matter who's right. What matters is that you get to, um, you get to find out, well, what do you want to come out of this? <clears throat> so it's really built around uh, where do we go from here? In that sense, it's like golf. It's not like therapy. It's like, okay, whatever happened, we're here. And now what do we do with that? That's such a neat analogy because I can see golfers who do well are able to let go of the slice or the you know the hook that they just did or exactly. the fact that they're in a bunker or they exactly. just put the ball in the lake exactly. and can you get back now and go what's next what's next and 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 that's not an easy thing for people that are invested in what's happened before that's exactly right yeah. and a lot of times if something's been in litigation for a long time um, there's just so much stuff there's there's a whole landscape of stuff all over and in that, I've always been able to hear where the mountain peaks are. I have no idea what's going on in the valleys, but I can hear where the mountain peaks are, and this is what's really going to make a difference. Can you share more? What do you mean by mountain peaks? It's the points that have meaning in all that stuff. It's like the points that make a difference in everything that's been said. So somebody can talk for half an hour, and I'll... As a mediator, I was always giving back to them what I heard and understood. And so the understanding is you've pointed out this and then that and so on and so on. That is like a two-minute summary of a 30-minute talk, right? Those are the mountain peaks. Mm -hmm. And it's often very, um, very relaxing to people to know that, wow, I was heard and understood. There's a story told of a judge, a really a, a federal judge, so very important judge, right? And everybody said that what going before this judge was always a bit traumatic because everybody would say, okay, this is what my case is about, and the other lawyer would say, this is what my case is about. Um, and then the judge would say what he understood, and the lawyers would leave the courtroom and they would, they would put each other's arms around each other and say, we better settle this thing. <laughs> the judge has no clue what this case is about. <laughs> so it, it's like um, when I give it back, I'm asking, is this what you said? Yeah. And what I also kind of hear in, in that, and I think this is maybe the gift of anyone who's a coach or a trainer or an educator, is... Um, a lot of times we lose sight of contrast. We're not able to differentiate and discern the value of things. And so the, the, to me, when you're talking about the mountain peaks, it's, it's the things that actually do hold the highest value and you're able to see the contrast there and you bring the client or the person that's coming to you or the person that's in the classroom into an ability to see the difference between what might be kind of the clutter, the stuff that doesn't That's mean right. much. That's right. And these pieces that actually mean the most, and and it's not necessarily obvious to yeah. people that are in, especially people that are in conflict. Yes. Yeah. In conflict, there's often so much context of difficulty. Um, it's like going through the heavy, heavy smoke of a forest fire, right? Um people can't see anymore what they could see before. Mm -hmm. So in relationship mediations, um, 
my focus was always on helping people, wait a minute, find their footing, find the, the ground from which they could see what it was they actually liked in that person and, um, and, and be able to use that as a lens to deal with a situation at hand mm -hmm. rather than using the awful, awful stuff that seems to have all been happening and piling up as the lens. So it's like, re it's like reforming or changing or giving people space for a new context. Mm -hmm. And then from that new context, they can be uh, different with each other. Yeah, I, I really can feel this, this sense of possibility yes. in what you're saying. Yeah. And it's always been strange to me that people can, can you know, show up in a church or a synagogue or wherever and say I love this person I'm gonna spend the rest of my life loving this person and then at some point down the road it's it's like all-out war and they want to just gouge each other's eyes out and and I think it's an interesting project to to honestly look at how that occurs like what what's going on in that those first stages of relationship where we can really believe that that's what's going to happen and then somehow we find ourselves in this place where we don't even recognize ourselves in it i think that's the key we don't recognize ourselves we not only don't recognize the other person we don't recognize ourselves cuz somehow we've 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 allowed that to undermine what we really are yeah and it's it's um it's so powerful when people, and they can do it in, you know, two minutes, uh, just with a little uh, guidance to go from seeing the other person as this awful, awful thing and, and saying, oh, wait a minute, yeah, I have a different frame for this. And what is that frame and, and how have you supported people in shifting into that new frame? It's just, um, well, I mean, it's, when I realized that uh, I couldn't talk to people because of the um, anger and uh, stuff that was in the room, I couldn't do anything. And I would just say, you know, I can't help you. I can't help you. Uh, I, need, I need to find out whether we can find some ground here that we can stand on to see what's possible. And so it, a little technique that I used was uh, having asking people to close their eyes for a minute and remember what they really liked in the other person, what really they, they liked, what drew them together, and just go inside and find that. And then when they found it, when they opened their eyes, look at me. And when, because I didn't want them to look at the other person because that other image would come right back, right? Mm -hmm. So I'd have them look at me and I could see from their eyes whether they'd done it. Yeah. And if they did it, then we could go ahead. Right. We could actually have a conversation, a mediation. Yeah, and you mentioned the, the caucus approach, which I've definitely used uh, depending on the, the circumstances of, of working with a couple or working with multiple people that might be in a difficulty. Um, could you say anything about why you feel like that's an effective approach and, and maybe some of the, some of the finer points of, of how to, how to engage separately and then together? The, the caucusing was really essential in, 
in what's basically a financial negotiation, right? It really is important. When, for example, um, uh, a woman is blinded by a mistake a doctor made in a prescription for eye, um, for laser activity on the eye. So she's now blind, right? And the other side is an insurance company and the doctor's sitting there, but it's really not... It, there's no value in having those people together all the time. Mm. There's value in having them separate. Um, in that, there is a particular case I'm referring to. And in that case, um, that woman had lost everything in her life. She was a, a, had a small business. She couldn't do that anymore. And she just couldn't, couldn't make any, any decisions so I asked them all to wait, uh, all the lawyers and the insurance adjuster, <laughs> who was a little ticked off because he had a plane to catch, and I took her to a coffee shop, and we just sat down. And she got to tell me about what her life was like. And then when we came back, she could, she could make decisions. So I was not your world's most conventional mediator. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and so often the, the human dimension or domain... Um, you can't just copy paste the textbook. Not and at all. There, there, there's information there that Not might be relevant, all. but you can't just take it and expect it to Not deliver. At all. No. Yeah. And and when a lawyer can't get a response from the client, um, the lawyer can't really represent either. So there's always that issue present when lawyers are present. Sometimes I would mediate with clients, and I'd have the lawyers on telephone standby. So that when we got, because, you know, something like 97% of, of all matters in litigation settle. I mean, all civil matters. It's just a huge proportion. People think, oh, I'm going to go to court and get my day in court. Forget it. <laughs> you know, there's going to be, um, there's hardly ever going to be a trial. That's the least likely thing that's going to happen. And if you had to design a system to get from conflict to resolution, you would never have invented the legal system. <laughs> but that's what we have. So that's what we go, go with. Right. Yeah. And so you spent some years uh, doing mediation, and, and did the work evolve, or did you consciously see that you wanted to move in a new direction around working with people and, and working around communication? Um, well... Let's see. I moved to Canada in 2000. Right. And um, I was still practicing mediation. I was traveling down to the States for mediations. I did some mediation work uh, in Canada, but very little. Um, I taught um, mediation skills. I taught uh, communication skills. That all came out of the mediation work because I'd been teaching mediation. Um, but then I discovered coaching. I took training in coaching here, and, um, and I began to teach that. Coaching skills for parents was the first course. Um, and then... Um, so like how parents can coach their kids. Yes. Yeah. Well, how they can be in conversation with their kids. Mm -hmm. Because it's really hard. Sometimes a parent is the last person that can say something to a, a youngster. Often. Or a teenager sure. or whoever. They, they, any, any person off the street could say it and it would be fine. But, but um, if the parent says it, 
there's this big X, right? Sure. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't land. Yeah. So you were working with with parents initially, and and using your experience with coaching and the training you got there, and using your experience with litigation and 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 mediation. Exactly. And so again, was that like uh, you did the parenting bit and you? stayed there for a while or did you no. immediately move into different areas no. looking for ways for your knowledge and skill set to kind of be utilized? A lot, a lot of the people who were involved in that early training, um, people who came to take the training, were uh, social workers, psychologists, counselors, teachers, people who worked with children rather than coming for their own, you know, being a parent. Um, and in 2008, a group of us got together drawing on coaching and drawing on mediation and put together a, a, a training program of general communication, advanced communication skills training, drawing on both mediation and coaching skills. And that's what I've been mostly doing ever since. Yeah. And who, who would you say is sort of the target or who who most benefits from that, that iteration of the work that you do? People who have, um, well, th the training is only part of it because I also do coaching circles, small group people uh, coming together in a cafe and I coach uh, each one of those clients and, and uh, everybody can hear each other. So there's a bonding and there's a, a growth I teach the communication skills while I'm doing the coaching um, so that there's a, a growth curve for everybody in that, in that model. Um, and, and then, of course, there's one-on-one -on -one coaching as well. But who's attracted to it? Oh, my gosh. Um, I have taught street people. I have taught um, COOs, CFOs. Uh, I have taught, uh, I don't know whether I've had any CEOs, I probably have. The people who respond to it are people who have difficult conversations that they're in the middle of, whatever that is. It could be uh, an aging parent, it could be um, that you just have a, a very difficult situation at work, um, it, it, where they really desperately need more tools for communication. And it could be, you know, any age. I mean, I've taught teenagers, I've taught elders. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I don't have a, a cubby hole to put it in. Mm. Um, it's like, um, oh, I must be Canadian now. I, I am a Canadian <laughs> citizen, by the way, but I just said I'm sorry. Congratu congratulations. <laughs> You've been assimilated. <laughs> totally. Um, <laughs> Maybe you could talk a little bit about your, your methodology, like how the program that you're currently delivering came together and why you feel like it's, it's unique or, or why you feel like it. it you know, I think hopefully if we're doing this work, we're always looking like what's the best, what's, what's the most refined, what's the most uh, effective, what's the most powerful way to, to deliver this work so that it really lands for people and they can move the work and what it represents into their lives. So I'm just curious about the process by which you, you came to your current methodology and, and what you use um, and why you feel like it's so effective. It actually was quite a surprise to me um, at how well that program that this group of us put together sticks. 
Um, although the mediation training also really stuck. I could go back two, three, four years after doing the training and people would be using what they learned in the training. The training was based on, the mediation training was based on the work of Bill Lincoln, uh, who was one of the very, very, very first people to do uh, mediation work community um, at a community mediation center in Boston. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of the Attica riots. Attica was a federal, is a federal prison in mm, the eastern yeah, United Attica, States. Yeah. And um, he was the mediator that was sent in to that situation to try to uh, work out a deal with the prisoners uh, who were rioting. And the first question we asked him was, well, what was it like being there? What, what did you think? And he said, well, my first thought was, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> but his work had that quality of stickiness. Mm. And so does this training that we put together, uh, which draws in part on his work uh, and draws on a lot of other streams. Um, the first thing in the class is always including everybody, individually, everybody. Uh, everybody gets to have something to say, whatever it is they want to say about why they're there or whatever. And then from there, um, it's not about, it, it's like there's got to be a shift inside uh, that, um, that, that opens a door to something new, right? That opens, um, so there's a place for it to land. It's not just taking in information. It's not sitting there with your laptop and you know taking copious notes or writing down copious notes. I do have work a workbook, a pretty extensive workbook um, that we we play with during the the class. But it's is there a place for this stuff to land? And so um, one of the first exercises is to show people, wow, this is where I need to go. I don't want to tell you what it is. But um, all of a sudden people think, oh, wow, I wasn't communicating the way I thought I was. Mm -hmm. So they get a chance to see that. We talk about the advice-free zone, um, and that's a coaching frame, right? Is that the very first thing is it's not about advice. Absolutely. Um, and as a result of teaching that and learning that over so many years, I finally realized that when I'm giving advice, I'm the one that I'm advising. I always need the advice that I'm giving to others. If I'm in advice mode, <laughs> I think, oh, yeah, that's something I need to know. <laughs> so then I guess I have a question because you yeah. know, I've done a lot of coaching and, and, and delivered a lot of workshops, and there is a place for me to uh, offer something. There's times for me to point things out that I think are meaningful or relevant. And so how would you make a distinction between being the facilitator of, of a process or someone's journey, uh, a supporter of their journey, uh, without advice? What, what do you do instead of advice, I guess is my question. Well, how well do you respond to advice? Well, I, I guess I would say it may be a semantics thing, but sometimes I really see that someone knows better than I do. 
and I want that knowledge. I want them to share that with me. Yeah. And so when I ask for it, when I'm receptive yeah. to it, it really fits and lands. Exactly. When, what I find is, and this is something I've, I've shined this light on myself, but I also see it in others, is when I'm not including them or when someone isn't including me, but they're just launching into, I'm going to get in here and fix your problem. Exactly. Or I'm going to give you the exactly. answer and it's going to make it all better for you before they're actually with me or before I'm with the person, it doesn't belong. It's, it's not relational and it's not, it's not a, a real uh, opportunity to connect about what's real. It's some old habit and, and a desire for, for some kind of outcome that, that actually... Uh, obscures the connection between the people. It's like if you want directions from here to downtown, I don't expect you to say, well, what would you like? <laughs> what directions would you like, right? I expect you to say, you know, go to the corner, turn right, blah, blah, right? That whole piece is laying out information. But when somebody's at a, at a turning point or has a difficulty in their lives, that's not what is helpful. And most of us have huge barriers to receiving it, um, and particularly from someone we're related to. Um, our parents often think that, gee, if we just could give our kids the right advice, um, they'd be just fine, right? And it absolutely doesn't work because... <laughs> <laughs> They've already got all these walls up against the parents' advice. So it's really important that people find in themselves what they know. That's what the whole um, the coaching strategy is about, is that there's something in you you actually know. You just don't know that you know it. Mm. And so you get in touch with it through the powerful questions that... that uh, are, are available to you when you're not in advice mode. You're in advice mode, you're drawing from something you already know. But the questions bring something new into the conversation. And when they do, light bulbs go on. Mm -hmm. Something really shifts for people. Um, so an example, um, somebody uh, has a terrible boss. This is an actual um, something that person was in a class, one of my classes. Um, I mean, really, really terrible. And everything he said about that boss was just terrible. And, uh, oh, he did this and he did that and blah de blah de blah And I said, well, um, what do you like about him? And so then he began to name off, well, gee, da-da, da-da, and he supports me and he gives me opportunities. And, and I'm saying, you know, what's the disconnect here? Because here's somebody he's fighting with, but he has all these really powerful um, insights into the qualities and the support from this boss. Well, with, in, in his situation, it turned out that he was projecting his father hmm. onto his boss. And when he could see that, it was like, bingo. <laughs> so it, it's, it's like a... You know, going in, he had all that in him. Mm. I didn't know anything. If I thought I knew something, that would have been a stupid conversation, right? But he knew. He had that in him. And when he was able to see it, so that was just one example. I had a woman who had a terrible boss. 
And her prior boss had been terrible. And her boss before that had been terrible. And she was struggling with this terrible boss. And so for her, it was about showing her that it was okay that her boss could be just like her boss is. And it didn't need to make her all upset or whatever. It was just how her boss was. And so when she was in that space, it's like the difference between, and I'm right, versus, yeah, I'm right. There's no, the whole emotional charge is gone. And for her, when that happened, she literally walked out of the class, went to her office, went to her, she's working in a library, went to her desk, and within an hour, the phone rang and a friend called and said, hey, there's a job over here, would you like to apply for it? Bingo. She had, she had released the barrier in her that was keeping opportunities at bay. And the barrier was her judgment on her boss. And the minute that didn't mean anything, she was available for an opportunity. Go figure. I don't know why. For one of the things I've taught, um, even when I was practicing law, yes, no, after I was practicing law but practicing mediation was forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't about going to somebody and saying, I forgive you. Not at all. It's a, it's a shift from the inside of holding something, being right about something, and it's just being something that happened. So it's an inside job. And for her, it was that process. We didn't call it forgiveness because it was just that inner shift in her that allowed her to be mellow about the situation. Mm -hmm. And once she was, once she was really free, you, you can't do this, it doesn't work if you just do it in your head. Oh yeah, she's okay, yeah, yeah. That's kind of a cold thing, right? And it can't be that way, it has to be an open thing. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's neat, the whole piece around forgiveness, and, and I've heard a lot of quotes, and people speak about it, and I speak about forgiveness as well. And, uh, you know, there's the sentiment of forgiveness isn't, f isn't for the other person, it's for you. And, and, and what you're pointing to is that it, it's actually not even for you. It, it's just the letting go of a, of a misunderstanding about w how and why we hold things inside. And it's that holding that keeps opportunity at bay. It keeps possibility it really at bay. It, 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 it keeps what's old kind of stuck or sticky in us so I love that way of shifting forgiveness is not even a it's not even an interpersonal piece it, sh it shows up there yes but it actually is us relaxing and letting go of our hold inside so that p things can just be as they are and 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 it's a beauty treatment the difference in how somebody looks when they're holding when they're in a state of unforgiveness right and the way they look when they're free of that is like, whoa, what happened? They look so much more beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it, it's instantaneous. And you can see it from the back of the room. You know, you can have 50 people in a room and the people in the way back can see, oh, wow, look at the difference in how she looks or how he looks. Yeah, yeah I've seen over and over in, in trainings and workshops that I've done is someone's there, they're in whatever they're in, they're holding what they're holding, they have a shift or a breakthrough, and they're just different, 
just different and beautiful. Yeah. And all that beauty that's already there, but it really comes out. Mm. I actually learned a forgiveness process um, when I first, that first decade when I was in mediation. Um, and I took training from the woman who was head of Psychosynthesis International. Go say that when you've had a glass of wine. Um, anyway, she uh, taught me this very simple forgiveness process, not as simple as the one I use now. But um, I started doing it and teaching it and so on and so forth. It's sort of a life thing, right? Um, and it was like somebody would have, uh, well, like one woman had um, um, not seen her daughter in a year. And two years earlier, um, her daughter had gotten involved with a really rotten guy. And her mother said to the daughter, if you stay involved with him, he's going to get you pregnant and leave you. And that's exactly what he did. But when the woman, the daughter was pregnant and had been left by this guy, she didn't go to her mother. She had the baby on her own. And it was a year post-baby and the mother had never seen her daughter or the baby. So we did this forgiveness process. And within like a week, it, it's so fast. It's like the universe, you know, really, it's all connected. There's no question. The daughter called her. And the mother was, of course, free of her need to be right. But as long as the mother needed to be right, somehow the daughter wasn't connecting. Mm. It's so simple. It is so clear that if we just stop holding against other people, um, we're free and they're free to move. Uh, I've, I had another one, uh, a guy who hadn't seen his brother in 25 years. And the brother calls, say, hey, I'm coming to town. Are, do you have any time? After the forgiveness. And it, as you say, it's not even a forgiveness. It has nothing to do with that. But that's, that's where it lands, right? Yeah, well, I would say it, it starts at this very quiet place right in the very center of us. Yes. And because it's at the center of us, when that shift happens, it then cascades through everything. And so it does show up in our relationships, and yeah. it does show up as what we might call forgiveness. But first, it's not really that. Mm -hmm. And and it's so simple and powerful. It makes me think, this was the next question I wanted to ask, is, you know, some people really don't see that everything feels opaque to them. They just don't get. They don't see what's going on. They don't see their part in it. And we've always been, all of us have been there, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, just blind to our own part. Totally. Right? But even people who do start to wake up, they do start to see through that opacity we find ourselves slipping back into these old patterns. So I guess I'm curious for you in working with people over the years, why do we keep picking up things that we know don't work? Boy, that's the $64 question. It used to be a $64 question. I think it's more than that now. I think it's more than that now, right? That used to be the, the top of, uh, of what the question, right? The <laughs> $64 question. Um, yeah, I mean, we all do it. It seems to come with, with the territory of being an imperfect human. The idea of being a perfect human, I guess the Chinese uh, government believes in that, that their they're, uh, bureaucrats are supposed to be perfect. And 
which is one of the reasons they don't say things when they could say things that are going mm -hmm. wrong, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, we know it's not that. And, and, and sometimes our parents kind of give us the idea we should be, be perfect, um, and we buy into that. So it's like, it's, it's not the way it is. We're imperfect, okay. Well, I, I, you know, I, I hear you and I agree. And what also comes up in me is this, these simultaneous truths is that we're not perfect and we don't need to be. And we're capable of so much. Like incredible, incredible opportunities and, and capacities to be present and to be creative and to transform what's been into what it can be. And so to include those two truths is like, I, I'm not perfect and I don't need to be. And I am so powerful to transform myself and my life. It's, I am continually amazed at the things that open up in people and in me. I, I say things I have no idea where they came from. Mm -hmm. and, and they're right on. And somebody else will say something and it's right on and they didn't even think about it. So there's something about our physiology that we we sort of think oh well I end at my skin and um, and everybody else is different or other and out there somewhere. and out there somewhere right yeah, yeah, yeah. and all you have to do is sit next to somebody who's uh, who's really in grief or really uh, hurting in some way uh, and you start feeling uh, <laughs> and then you realize well maybe we're not entirely in our skin right there there's more of us than meets the eye <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that brings up for me um, what's in it for us to pick up these old habits, to pick up these old things that we know don't work, that we know are painful and difficult and that might hurt others, and, and yet we go back to them, is that there's a payoff in pretending we're separate. There is a payoff, yeah. otherwise we wouldn't do That's it. That's right, yeah, and I think that, that piece, um, when we really get that, and maybe there's levels of getting that. I know there's levels <laughs> of getting that. But as we get that more and more deeply, that, that the separation that we experience, the separation we've been taught, is, is not real. It's, it's conditioned. We experience it as real. But on a fundamental level, we're not separate in that way. And We find in conversation a, a, a path to connectivity. And the foundation of it is the quality of listening. Um, part of my training background is some work called presencing mm. or theory you. Um, I took some training in that and, um, and integrated some of it in the, in the work that I teach. Um, there is a, we, we always think of listening, okay, closed mind means I can't hear anything. I'm just waiting for my turn to speak. Think of a debate, right? A college or a high school debate. I mean, people are talking at each other, but they're not talking even to each other, right? Well, I, I mean, even at high levels, I, I've been listening to a lot of high-level intellectual debates, uh, public discourse debates, and people don't care about the other side exactly they refuse to include 
any even highly agreed upon factual information exactly. from the other side. It's all about winning the argument. Right. It's staggering. And, it's and incredible. And then you've got what, right? Uh, because if you're right, then that makes the other person wrong. Mm. But uh, when I'm, what I'm speaking to is um, a level of listening. The next level of listening is kind of an open, well, what, it, what is it you're saying? So it's like an open mind. If my mind is open, I'm willing to hear what you're saying, even if it doesn't agree with what I think, because I want to know what your arguments are. But it stops right here, right? And then the third level, which is very commonly uh, thought to be the final level, is open heart. I'm listening between the lines. I'm listening for what you really mean, not just what you're saying. But in Otto Scharmer's work, the presencing work, there is a fourth level of listening, and it's a generative level of listening. So it's listening for what's there to happen. It's listening for what wants to happen. I say wants, I don't mean wants in the sense yeah, that... Yeah, not a human Not a human want, want yeah, right? Yeah, I get it. But there's this, this value, right? And... Uh, and you just keep going down, mental and emotional, and, and then this openness, and that's open will. That's your will is available to what wants to happen or what is there to happen. Yeah. And that's when the magic really happens. So we, there's so much depth in, um, available in conversation. And... Um, and so when I'm teaching, it's not just a, you know, learn how to say please and thank you and learn how to, you know, follow social graces. This is not at all social graces. This is, uh, it's not being nice. Yeah. It's being real. It's yeah. being, and a lot of the comments on the training um, have to do with authentic. It made me feel, I, I know how to be more authentically me. Yeah. 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 And that, that's so nourishing. And, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't include kindness. Like I get yeah. that it's not about being nice because we can do nice towards yeah. people. And not be kind and at not all. not really with them. <laughs> and, and it's not nourishing to us or them. It's not authentic. That's right. And so to, to yeah. be authentic, to be true to what's there, to listen. And I love that, that degenerative level of listening. Like when you say it wants to, I often talk about like life wants to evolve. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a human want. It's not no. some personal preference. It's just that's the direction life moves in mm -hmm. perpetually. Right. It, it wants to do that. Right. It's, it's what it's here for. Right. And so that in a way what I hear you saying and, and what resonates with me is that our, our willingness to let go, that whole forgiveness piece, our willingness to let go and just be with what is is our access point to shifting into these deeper and deeper levels of listening. Mm -hmm. And that at a certain point, we're actually listening into, we're tuned into this want of life to move forward and evolve. And then we become participants in that. And, and it, it's, it's the only real thing that is meaningful about being together. Why communicate if we're not in this possibility of what can become in life. Yeah, I love that. And when you step into that, even with your littlest toe, you know something really big <laughs> is there for you. Mm -hmm. 
conversation, communication is so, I want to say pregnant, mm. that it, it is so full of potential. And, and we ignore it. I mean, look at the cell phones, you know. Uh, it, it, how many people actually pay attention to the person that they're with, right? We're distracted by these things that 10 years ago wouldn't, we wouldn't even, you know, what's that kind of thing. Um, so I think communication skills are, are built upon that availability of something more in you. And you just open up to it and it'll kind of come up like a fountain inside. What you're doing is getting rid of the barriers to that just by noticing that they're there. Mm -hmm. Say, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, and I can, the only reason that that works is if the barriers aren't real. That's right. Right? As, as soon as you look at something honestly, the only reason it would disappear if you look at something honestly is if it wasn't real in the first place. Right. So that, that's such a lovely indicator like, yes. to reinforce it. Oh, yes. yeah. Yes. If, I, if I'm afraid of something, if yes. I'm afraid of looking inside, mm -hmm. then I'm, I'm making up a story about what's real in there or what, what the risk is of seeing something that's real. If I don't have that, all that's happening is I'm looking and what's not real is evaporating. And then, that's true. And then it happens between us. Like if yes. I'm honest inside, yes. now I can really see you. Exactly. And you get to really see me. Right. And to me, that's the space of real communication is when we don't put anything in the way. And, and I also understand why that's so scary for people, why people have built so much against that kind of connection and intimacy. Because, it, it, again, there's not, it's not that there's no cost there. If, if we feel secure, if we feel right, if we feel in control by using those kinds of barriers and mechanisms, um, then real connection is, is the, the dissolution of those protections. And, and then we've got to feel. It's a funny kind of control, right? Because it controls so little. Mm -hmm. It seems to control so much, but it actually controls so little. That's the problem with nice, is you can be nice and be really hard and cold inside, but you can't be kind, really kind, without being open and warm inside. Mm -hmm. So the cold, warm, difference is something that people can notice mm -hmm. yeah yeah and and to me one of the ways that i i invite people to explore that is that if they have spent time on that quote-unquote cold side of the relational spectrum um, to notice how warmth stretches them that that they'll actually feel a stretch in, their, in themselves, in their experience, as they extend warmth towards someone when maybe their most natural way of being would be this sharper, colder way. And, and in that way, this is another mistake I feel like people make so much, is they've been cold and now they want to be the warmest person in the world. <laughs> it's like, slow down. <laughs> Can you be a little bit warmer than usual? Can you just drop a little touch of warmth that wasn't there before? And, and that, that's Good. all that we need to do to just stretch into that edge of, I don't usually go here, 
with my warmth and my openness. And then we can see that if that becomes our way, that we just touch into just a little bit more warmth, a little bit more openness. Now I can be honest about where I'm at. I don't have to pretend that I'm going to snap my fingers and all of a sudden I'm going to be a completely different identity, a completely different person. Um, but, but, I'm at, but I am tapping into what you spoke about, about the, the, the pregnancy of presence in, in the moment. Yes. That, that when I tap into that, then what's possible does have access to come through. Exactly. Yeah. It's very hard. <clears throat> it's hard when we're dealing with repetitive behaviors. So-and-so always does this. He always does that. You know, whatever that is. It's as long as that creates that hardness in you, in a way you're holding it in place. Um, I'll give you an example out of my own life. Mm. I had, um, and it, 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 yeah, I had um, a business a mediation firm in San Francisco. Well, we had mediators around the country, and uh, it was time to to sell the business. And this company from um, Philadelphia bought the business, but apparently the president of that company, um, and it was a pretty good fit. It was a nice fit for them, um, but wasn't fully disclosing to his board of directors what our situation was. And so he was taking a lot of flack for that, and they ended up um, uh, filing for arbitration to unwind the deal. They didn't really want to unwind it, but they, they did this um, because he was under this pressure. So for and, and arbitration isn't like the courts. With the courts, sometimes if you have a, a, a claim that doesn't have any value, you can get rid of it pretty fast. Mm. But in, the, um, in arbitration, not. There's no easy way to get rid of a false claim. So um, after about a year and a half of this sort of stalemate, um, I realized that I was holding anger towards him. I was pissed off at him. I was really angry with him. And I know from my own work that affects the universe somehow that but i wasn't i it wasn't because of that it was that it was affecting me i was holding it and i was hard and that hardness dribbles over into the rest of your life like poison and it's poison right so i said okay and i wasn't thinking about anything changing at all so it wasn't to make something happen that's really important so it took me literally two weeks before I could unconditionally wish him well. I could see what had happened. I could see his side. Um, and I was able to let go the being right part. It was no longer, you're wrong and I am right. Mm. It was like, we're in this and something, it, it happened. Yeah. So just all the emotional freight was gone. Yeah. Within a week, he called <laughs> out of the blue yeah. and said, hey, how, how about we do, how do we do a mediation? Yeah. Said, you appoint a mediator, we'll appoint a mediator, and uh, we'll get this thing done. Great. So we get the mediation. The two mediators get together, and they work on him to get everything I want. And that was what happened. <laughs> 
And, it, and I thought, yeah, for a year and a half, I was sitting there holding this righteousness mm. and in the shooting myself in the foot the whole time. And you said the word unconditional, and I just want to touch on that because I, I think it's, it's a misunderstood concept. Uh, there's a difference between doing something because it gets you somewhere. Exactly. And doing something because it's just true to do that. Exactly. And, and what I notice is that... Um, you know, I think it's an overused word, unconditional, unconditional love, unconditional, unconditional. Um, it's not that I don't believe it exists, it's just that it's, it's rarer than we think. And, and where I think it's relevant is that um, if I do something in the guise of unconditional, but in somewhere in the background, I'm not really okay with what's going on, that piece that I've left out, that I haven't been totally given over to mm -hmm. will show up now it may not show up between me and a particular person maybe we part ways and I never see them again but what will happen is I will bring that incomplete peace with that person into some analogous relationship in the future exactly so then then I, it's it's always going to show up and it's always going to get in the way because I have kept it in the way inside and of course, just like we know about relationships, whatever we have incomplete or unresolved inside, it shows up. And, and I have this deep love and, and trust and, and, and belief that it doesn't show up because life is unfair. It shows up because that gives us our most fruitful opportunity to really put it to rest. So like as these dynamics that we could relate to as like things that came from our childhood, and of course before that if we really look back, um, that, that when they show up in the present moment, they're showing up because life is, is inviting us to put it to rest, exactly. inviting us to integrate it. That is, that is such a profound statement. Yeah. That is so important. Mm -hmm that it always hangs in there. It's always there and it's going to pop out when you least want it. <laughs> and you're sort of thinking, why did I say that? Or why did I do that? Or what's that all about? And then I love the way you said that. That is so beautiful. And if we get it, again, levels of getting, but if we really get that, in a way that's not bypassing and it's not some warm, fuzzy spiritual idea is we can actually warmly welcome what's really difficult about life because we know what it represents instead of what most of the world is doing and what mostly we've been taught is we should be happy. Things should feel good. We, things should go our way. And if they don't, it means something is wrong. What if we could put that belief to rest and just show up <laughs> and take care of what's in front of us so that we can move forward. Like the whole pregnant possibility of, of yeah. evolving yeah. As, as a human being and yeah. as collectively as a, as a humanity, that's what's available in that. Mm. So beautiful. All of these opportunities. But the most important one is that touching into what is nourishing. I love that you mentioned that. And that transforms... And that requires, that transforms relationships. It transforms communication. Um, it totally transforms um, your inner landscape and makes life, makes you more available for what your life could be. Mm. Uh, and we, we have the chance to do that. Yeah. I love that.
Yeah. And, and that inspires me. It gets me excited. And then there's also this other piece that comes forward as we, as we speak about this and I get kind of tingles about it. There's also people that don't necessarily get what we're talking about. Or um, I had this realization a while ago that we always, when we're looking through our personal experience, we're always measuring minimum and maximum from our own experience. So there are people out there that think life is good. And, and, and they think they're a 9 or a 10 on the scale of how good life can be. And, and what they're comparing it to is how life has been for them. Mm. And, and what I realize is that as we really expand into the fullness of what life can be, those scales are constantly dissolving into new, broader and higher contexts. So we think we've felt pain, keep evolving, keep growing. There's more there. We think we've felt bliss and joy, keep opening, keep stretching. There's more there. And so the, I, I think I say that because I think sometimes people get into this frame of here's how it's been and, and then they project how it's been into their perceived future. Well, so it's we, never going to get better than it's been and it's never going to get worse than it's been and I'm just going to stay in this little zone. And, and so I think I'm saying it to like encourage for anyone who's listening. It's like give yourself permission to, to, to feel what's possible and how far and deep and broad life can go and, and, and then to be excited about the opportunity to explore all of that. But in the little. So... Very few people articulate it in the grand the way you are, but they will part. They will they will relate to it on my cranky old neighbor, for example. I don't have cranky neighbors, but <laughs> well, that's another story. <laughs> my sons uh, had a house, uh, the first place they and they bought a house together, and they had a cranky old lady as a neighbor. And they were fussing and fuming about her complaints about cars parking in front of her house when they come to visit the, the boys. And, um, and I just coached them through getting rid of that, being right about the neighbor. Mm -hmm. And um, when they left that house, she cried because she loved them so much. And they had such a good relationship. When they gave up being right, that gave her space to change. And she just opened her heart and they opened their hearts and it was a whole different experience. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because what, what that represents to me is that even though I, I, I believe in all of this, the, the depth and the height and the, and the breadth and, and all of what we can grow into, that the most meaningful pathways to all of that is in the mundane. It's in the small. It's in the, the tiny choices about how we show up. Right. And it doesn't look like they have any meaning. Mm. You know, your neighbor's dog is barking all the time. That's a harder one. <laughs> um, yeah, there's just... Once you connect as human beings human beings human beings right you connect at a at a level that is free of that judgment and free of that righteousness then something can shift and it will 
it's like when you want something and you really deeply, deeply, deeply know that that's for you, you may not recognize it if you insist that it come in this box or that box or, or this box. You have ideas about how that's going to show up in your life. But it may show up as something way different. Mm. And you would totally miss that it's there if you hold tightly to what, it, what the form of it is. So let's say you want a relationship. Well, you don't want a crummy relationship. You want a good relationship, mm. right? And, and yet, when you just are driven by that need, I need a relationship, you're likely to completely paper over all the things that will make this the relationship from hell. Mm. Um, it's, it's really um, something we do to ourselves. Yeah, and it's not even ch like giving over to chance that it will be a bad relationship when we are not okay on our own mm -hmm. and we haven't sorted out mm -hmm. our conditioned relational stuff we will actually be drawn to and we will be compelled to choose people that represent and that will help us manifest that dysfunction so it's it's like tr being tracker tractor beamed into yeah, what we say we don't want really but it but it's really about what we're running from mm -hmm. we're running from being mm -hmm. present to our own experience. We're running from being present to what it is to, to feel alone or lonely. Mm -hmm. We're running from what it, what it means mm -hmm. to us to, to have someone there that quote unquote loves us, mm. like all of that. Yeah. When we're running from it, we run into yeah. the, the, the dark underbelly. I coach people um, who are starting businesses or mm -hmm. want to start a business. And where I usually start looking with my questions is what's happening in your current situation what is what's not working for you in the current situation mm -hmm. so they'll list bunk, 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 all these things that are not working sure and so the truth is that if you don't if if these are not addressed your next job is going to be the same like the lady that worked in the library, you know, bad boss, went from that bad boss to another bad boss to another bad boss, right? Such bad luck. Such bad <laughs> luck. <laughs> but she was actually carrying that energy sure. with her the whole time. Yeah. It's so, amazing how, how yeah. intelligent and powerful we are. Yes. That we can manifest that level yes. of complexity in our yes. lives. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it's so... So you were talking about, like, so you're working with someone, you're asking yeah, questions, yeah. what's showing up that's right, not working, right? and so then what, so what then do you I, do there, how then do you I, use that? Then I, then I coach to, <clears throat> let's take a look at these, because, because it's going to follow you. Um, if these don't get sorted and, and come to resolve inside of you, you're going to take them with you wherever you go, and it's not going to help your new business. So um, literally, the one I'm thinking about um, within, uh, it was another bad boss story. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just like, the guy's been working there for several years. And all of a sudden, he has a whole new relationship now with that boss. Mm -hmm. And he's not, you know, he doesn't feel put upon when the boss asks for this or that. He knows that he can say no if it's not the right thing to do. 
He knows how to ask for the stuff that he needs to do his job well, which he wasn't actually feeling free to do because he had all these ideas about what the boss absolutely demanded and required. Well, the boss didn't absolutely demand and require. The boss didn't, didn't see a reason to do it some other way. Mm. So he learned how to ask for what he needed to do the job well. He learned how to say, no, I can't do that, and this is why it doesn't make sense to do that. He learned how to be a more effective person in the position he's in. And this was like two coaching sessions. I mean, it's not a, this is not therapy. It's more like golf, right? Yeah. What's going on and what is it that will open something in that situation? Yeah, and I recognize someone needs to be ready for that change. Otherwise, yes. they won't play golf. Well, they wouldn't come well, to me. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if they came to me, they wouldn't stick around. We would have one session. They'd say, this isn't for me. Fine. Yeah. Right. And how do you support people in that, the integration of those pieces? So like I, I hear you about, about golf. It's like, here we are. How do we move forward? Um, and that past is always showing up as the unconscious just does what the unconscious does. It keeps bubbling and kind of finding its way into our lives. It keeps getting in front of us. So how do you work with someone or what do you do with people that um, are ready to take steps but also there's a lot of integration involved. So what, what's your approach there? Well, if there, right now I'm packaging coaching sessions as six sessions, to do six sessions, just because that gives us time and space to celebrate the successes and be really okay with the times that didn't work. Mm -hmm. So that's how that gets supported, is um, celebrating that when it did work, and just being totally okay, totally relaxed inside about when it didn't work. And so that kind of hones it. It speeds up the integration. Right. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I'm curious for someone who is um, wanting more clear, authentic, uh, effective communication in their life. They're looking to really transform old, maybe limited ways of, of navigating communication and relationship. Um, what would you say that, that you think would be supportive to them? Um, yeah, what do you feel like people are really, uh, maybe what I would call the active ingredient for them to really shift things? You. Hmm. You are the secret sauce. You'd say that to them. You're not, me? Me personally? <laughs> I don't know. Well, in that, you say, what would I say to them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like when only this much of you, this much of you is coming through. She's making a, a symbol of something really <laughs> tiny <laughs> really for the tiny. audio listeners. Just a little yeah, bit, really, really a little small. bit of you is coming through. Then there's not much for them to relate to. When there's more of you coming through, wow, there's a lot for them to relate to. Same with them and others is... is they can be more of who they are. It's so much more than nice. It's not at all nice, but it's real. And what people say, the coaching, the two-day coaching program is, is aimed exactly at that. Um, a number of people who come are working with very difficult people, very difficult people, people with mental issues, people with, 
with just unbelievable circumstances that you just wouldn't even believe people could go through what these guys are going through. And these are the people who work with them who come to the training. Um, it can be more difficult with people who've had a lot of, of like, education about the sorts of things we're working with because they got it all up here but it's not integrated right? right so when you when you're presenting it and showing it's like well i already know that yeah but are you living that right mm. it, it until it actually informs what you're doing in your in your everyday it's just wallpaper and, and if so if they if people who want this shift and this this expansion of what communication can be, and they have reservations or they have resistance or there's fear there, how would you encourage them to navigate that? If there's a kind of a fear that's historic in their life, there's something that they were deeply afraid of that's still there. Um, I have a little way of working um, to clear the nervous system so simple. I mean, we're talking, gosh, less than five minutes mm. um, to clear. I, I just had a coaching client this week um, with something that has been stuck in her nervous system since infancy. And, um, and it's just this very simple way of working with the awareness and, and allowing the horrible thing to come out of the body it has to be a specific thing you can't you can't do this with uh everything my father did to me sure but you can do it with you know i remember this happening this yeah. and then when i feel that i feel tight so that's how you know there's something there yeah. is there's a tightness when you yeah. think about it yeah. in fact when you think about this is this is kind of a threshold question uh, that people can ask themselves is if you just notice how you are, you're just sitting there, you notice your jaw, you notice your shoulders, you notice your breathing, how is everything? And then you sort of bring into mind this thing, whatever it was, an event, something that happened. And you notice, is my breathing more shallow? Is my jaw tight or my shoulders tight? And if that happens, then you know there's something in your nervous system that's stuck, mm -hmm. right? And so from that point, you can, you can work with this, this three-step model, which is you just take the, and you can't do this for yourself. It's very hard to do this without having somebody guide you through sure. it. I've tried to um, videotape it, and I'm not sure that it works without somebody to work with mm -hmm. uh, because there's a timing element to it. Anyway, um, so the three steps are bringing it in and letting, letting you just fill your body with how it really feels to think about that. What is it that, that you're, that, what is it, you know, what's in your jaw, what's in your breathing, what's in your neck, what's in your, the muscles in your face, what's in your, your belly sometimes. Whatever it is, where does it hurt when you think about that? And then you take all of that out of your body, you just vacuum it out and put it on a little shelf above your head. Okay. And then you clear. You just kind of notice, get back to where you were before you did that. 
So just clear it out of your body. Just, oh, there's a little residue. Put it back up on the shelf above your head. And then you can breathe. And then from there, you recall or imagine being completely loved and accepted just as you are, just as you've always been. And if you can't experience it, if you can't recall it, imagine it. Imagine holding, just, just fill your awareness with the, the awareness of how extraordinarily wonderful that situation was. Maybe you were just married. Maybe you, you just had a baby. Maybe you just, something happened. Maybe you were in high school and something amazing happened. You sang in the choir and the choir got an award. Whatever it was, you were just on top of the world. Or you imagine it, and then what time of year was it? And what, what, what did you notice? What were the smells? Who was there? You really fill out the whole sensory experience mm. of that peace. Embody it. You totally embody it. Mm -hmm. And then you hold on to that awareness, and you reach up on that shelf, and you pull that ugly experience back down into your awareness. And right there, you notice what is different. It's all about noticing right at that moment when you bring it down into your body, what's the difference? And to date, so far, everyone who's done this says, well, it's just something that happened. Mm -hmm. It was just something that happened. And then, you know, if it's a really big thing, then we do a little visualization about it. You know, is it getting smaller as you look at it, holding into your awareness the good experience or imagining? Is it getting smaller? Is it getting smaller? Is it getting smaller? And then whew, you can blow it away, watch it go away. Yeah. yeah. Lovely. So, I mean, how long did we spend? Two minutes? Three minutes? But literally, I did that in a coaching session this week. And this, it's gone. A whole lifetime of being triggered by something is gone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so simple, yeah. right? Yeah, and I can see that for that to be gone, we have to let go of our story about it. We have to let go of what that story has done for us. And we have to be willing for touches of, of that pattern to arise again without going back to the old. It's like, because it, what it's really about is our relationship with what that experience is. If our relationship with that experience is a kind of no, not this, then we, we strengthen it, we empower it, we, we pour energy into it versus just letting it be what's arising, whatever is arising. It's so simple. It's so much simpler. You've got this wonderful way of explaining things about what's really going on, right? Mm. But it's so simple when you experience it. Mm -hmm. It's like all of a sudden, whatever that is that can happen uh, just isn't triggering you anymore. Whereas, you know, your whole life, time and time and time again, this thing would happen. You go, ah! <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's... 
you can replicate it. I can sometimes replicate it if it's something that a person can do um, so that they can get a taste of it. But both, basically, it's just gone because they now have a new frame for it, yeah. and it's instantaneous. It doesn't require any thinking about. In fact, it seriously doesn't require thinking about, because mm. it's all in the body, it's all... Um, and then it's not in the body because you have a different frame for it. It's like you wake up, there's a noise in the middle of the night, you think, oh, there's somebody in the house. And then you, all of a sudden you, so you, you now, you heard something and your mind has put an interpretation on it instantly, right? Mm -hmm. And then you hear a little more and you think, oh, it's the cat. And phew, gone. So it's that fast a change. Is you have now a different frame for the sound. Same sound, right? Mm -hmm. And one puts you in the mode of fight and flight and one of them just said, oh, noisy cat, right? So, so it's so simple. It doesn't need any, anything more. Yeah. I've really enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. I, I feel like I've got to know you a little bit better and, and for sure learned more about about how you, how you kind of organize and, and deliver and, and create this beautiful work and uh, I'm definitely looking forward to more opportunities to to connect and talk and, and and collaborate so thank you for taking the time to be on the show today it's such a pleasure to talk with you Dolph mm. and I haven't spoken about these things forever mm. it's just really a treat to be able to do it thank you yeah yeah you're welcome and <laughs> we'll uh, we'll do it again sometime great yeah take thank care. you You are listening to the Conversations for Change podcast with Dolphin Casper.